Charlotte's Web, Welcome to Dead House, Maniac McGee, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Secret of the Ninja. It's been a great first chapter to the reliterated story, and this week, we're doing a talkback episode to recap. It's reliterated, reiterated. Chapter 1, Let's Talk. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books that were popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. You can interact with us, ask us questions, suggest future episodes, tell us what we've missed, uh, ask what our favorite foods are, just just whatever. Just find us on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube. We're Reliterated wherever you look for us, or send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. I'm Andy. And with me are my fellow hosts, Harold and Josh. All right. This is the Reliterated Reiterated Talkback episode, where we're going to be addressing some of the stuff that we've already covered, but want to uh, to double back and, uh, and discuss a little bit more. Um, first order of business, though, we are going to announce the winners of the Maniac McGee Butterscotch Crimpet contest that we've been talking about for several episodes now. The winners are... Drumroll, please. Adam Selgit and David Hazard. You are our winners, so congratulations. We will get you some Butterscotch Crimpets out to you as soon as we can. So... And Congratulations. If, if you guys want, I would be happy to come help you eat your butterscotch crimpets. We are throwing crimpet parties at your houses. <laughs> you can't stop us. <laughs> <laughs> if you truly want to enjoy those butterscotch crimpets after receiving them from us, you should do it with a glass of chocolate milk and you can be honorary and dip chocolate em. milk friends. Yeah, and dip them. Don't be like Andy yeah. while drinking no. a glass of chocolate milk. No, you dip it. <laughs> I eventually did dip them and they were delicious. Oh man, I can tell how is you that, that not your how is that not your first thought though? Right. Honestly. That's what I'm I, saying. We're a new podcast. This is this is all new. <laughs> we're we're figuring it out as we go. Shut the fuck up. Are Disappointed. You, are you new to eating confections with milk present? <laughs> I'm new to eating butterscotch crimpets. I guess I can give you that. <laughs> It's still a cakey item in milk nearby, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so we suggest that you eat these dipped in chocolate milk. It's tasty. So congrats, Adam and David. Something that we missed in our Charlie and the Chocolate Factory episode, I wanted wanted us to all introduce ourselves with the candy-related death that we would prefer to suffer, but instead we went right into trash talking rolled doll. So Well, he's a piece of shit. He deserves to get shit on. <laughs> Both things are true. <laughs> but he's dead. He's not going anywhere. He can wait a little bit. Let's talk about how we want to <laughs> how we want to die in a chocolate factory. I'll go first because I've been wanting to do this one for for ever since we recorded the episode. So what I imagine is we would go into Willy Wonka's hard candy room. And there would be some some green apple hard candy, similar to like, you know, a Jolly Rancher or something. Right. And Uh he would be talking about how they pour it 
from this large cauldron or something, and I would want to go eat it while it's still warm because I've always wanted to eat a hard candy while it was still warm and not hard yet because I could eat more of the candy faster that way. Huh. And uh, I would run up to try and get it, and he would tell me, stop, wait, no, don't. And I imagine I would trip over possibly an Oompa Loompa and fall <laughs> through the stream of Jolly Rancher hard candy and come out the other side looking like Han Solo from Star Wars, frozen <laughs> in green apple Jolly Rancher. Frozen in hard candy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And he would probably send me to the licking room to uh, to get me out of it, <laughs> which I'd also enjoy, by the, the way. <laughs> just like 20 Oompa Loompas licking you out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, Josh, what are the Oompa Loompas going to be singing about your demise? Well, I happen to love ice cream, even though I'm lactose intolerant. And I also love peanut butter, which is not kind to me most of the time. So obviously, those are my two favorite things in the world. Therefore, I'm sure it would involve me probably getting turned into some type of peanut butter cup. <laughs> because they're my favorite candy. I didn't really think hard about how how I would die from candy. <laughs> yeah, mine was totally better than there, yours. There is a... <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a there's a comedy bit done by a comedian called The Food of Your Choice and it's all about how whatever food you choose will end your life. It's really really funny and I, that's basically all I've been thinking about since you brought that up is just that song unfortunately. But I think it would just be my candy related death would be they would feed me uh, peanut butter ice cream until I uh, basically died from lactose intolerance. So intolerance sorry, does it's not kill. very inventive. <laughs> that's grim so I recently was at the gym and the movie A Quiet Place was playing uh, on one of the TVs and I know you can't really hear anything that's going on in the movie anyways but there was like no no audio whatever so it was, it's kind of the perfect movie to watch while you're on a treadmill <laughs> but I I saw the scene where the kids were in a we're trying to save each other from drowning in a in a corn silo. And I'm thinking, you know, I I would probably go leading Oompa Loompas to Freedom in some sort of underground railroad type scenario, but the path leads through through a silo and we're, it's a silo of nerds. And somehow or another I sacrifice myself and get get swallowed up by by nerds, which I absolutely love. They're like one of my favorite candies. So, so yeah. Mine was I would I would drown in a silo of nerds. Mine was indulging in hard candy before it's hardened and being frozen because of my own vice. Josh's was ignoring his own intolerance until he <laughs> dies from it. And Andy thinks so highly of himself that he believes he's going to lead a rescue mission for Oompa Loompas before <laughs> drowning in a silo full of nerds. <laughs> Wait a second. This is a vice that kills you, Andy. Your vice is saving enslaved peoples. Yep. My flaw is I care too much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about saving the Oompa Loompas and getting them out of there. But I doubt that's what you'd be thinking in a candy factory. <laughs> No, 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 my my vice is virtue signaling. Yeah, yes, yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> I go in there leading the Oopaloopa Rebellion. 
I could just see you over there with that satisfied look on your face like, mm-hmm, I'm so <laughs> yeah. cool. <laughs> I'm the great white hope they've been waiting for. Right? <laughs> I'm so woke, guys. We'll get to that later. Great white hopes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's another thing. We keep saying we'll get back to things later. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> let's go back to our first episode. Charlotte's Web. We missed something that is like a focal point of a whole section of the book in uh, in Charlotte's Web. Like it, it covers us an area in the book. It, it happens. Uh, this thing appears, and then it actually is what saves Charlotte, and we completely skipped over it. The rotten egg. The goose lays a number of eggs, and they all hatch. Except for one. Well, she according to the movie, it was eight. She had eight eggs. Right. And one was bad. I think that was the same in the in the, in the book, book as well. It was the same in the book. Yeah. She had she had a number of eggs. You know, I don't know if it was eight or if it was nine or whatever it was, but she had a number of eggs. No, no, no it's very important we get this precise. We guys. do need it. We should probably stop now. Watch the movie <laughs> yep. and read the Let's, book, and then we'll do yep, an average I'll go of dig eggs. Up my copy that I that I read, <laughs> and we'll have to find the page number and. Yep. <laughs> But see just how many eggs there were. So the goose lays some eggs. One of them doesn't hatch. Okay. Now in the 2000, the live action movie we actually watched recently to kind of compare and contrast, um, that egg was rotten like immediately in the movie. But in the book, I don't think the egg was rotten right away because she lays the egg. Templeton takes the egg from her, okay, because she says he can have it because it's no good. It's not going to hatch. And then he hides it in his tunnels under the the slop trough, and the egg remains there for a period of time, a couple of chapters, actually. It isn't like it happens right away. In the movie, he takes it down under the trough, and like immediately it gets smashed, and it was rotten, and it stinks everything up. So there, um, that's probably about the only thing in the movie that wasn't true to life, like real. Uh, Definitely the talking pig and the talking animals was, was how I have noticed when I go to farms, um, they're usually singing so, and dancing and talking. So uh, unfertilized eggs are not rotten right off the bat. Well, I mean, I guess it could she had have laid, been rotten. Cause she laid, she had laid that before. egg and was sit. Yeah. She was sitting on it for a while yeah, long so enough for the other eggs rotten. to hatch. Okay. Yeah. I didn't really think about that. I don't know. For some reason I, in my head, was mixing up live birth and egg birth, I guess. And I was thinking, like, those <laughs> eggs just came out. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. How is it rotten already? How is it rotten already? But, yeah, that makes sense. It would have been a rotten egg. In the book, though, it doesn't happen so close together like that. Yeah. In the, in the yeah. movie, it happens immediately. In the book, it takes a couple chapters before the egg gets broken. But it stinks out the whole barn. All the animals are grossed out. Avery, uh, Fern's brother, saw Charlotte, and he wanted to catch the spider because Avery, as we know, is a little monster who takes guns to school and and captures frogs. So Squishy spiders. He wanted to squish Charlotte, and that just wasn't going to happen. 
You did you did speak of the movie and yes, we did recently watch it and I'm not going to lie. I I like that movie, guys. I enjoyed it. It was pretty good. I actually liked it better than the book. Me too. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Like I like Templeton and uh man, what's his name? Why am I mis- uh, dropping out of his name? The voice actor? Tem- the voice Templeton? actor of Templeton. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, he was perfect for that role. I love Absolutely. Steve- yeah. Steve Buscemi's delivery is always so great and he's funny and and yeah, he was he was really good for Templeton. I liked how they added in the crow characters and even though they're not in the book, they they play a fairly important part in the movie and apparently they're named after um the EB of EB White. So Really? Okay. What were their names? Yeah. I learned that in the IMDb trivia. <laughs> a treasure trove of, of knowledge. Of quote-unquote facts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall their names, though. The crows in the movie. E and B. Neither does I Josh. I will let you know shortly. <laughs> I will Josh. let you know shortly. <laughs> he only remembers that fact, not what it meant. <laughs> I know that fact. I don't remember their, the names. It's because it's an interesting... Right. So speaking of stalling for time... <laughs> They were actually voiced by Andre 3000 and Thomas Hayden Church, which it's a, it's a stranger pairing than than uh, it actually turned out. Be You would think it's a more strange pairing than it actually turned out being. I thought they meshed really well together. They did. It was uh, Brooks and Elwin. There you are. Yep. Yeah, no, they they were good. I liked how they were playing with they they wouldn't go into the field because of the crow, the scarecrow standing there. They're like, he's not human. (laughs) He's staring at us. (laughs) Yeah, the movie was simultaneously true to the book, but still like added just enough to kind of flesh out um, like even more themes than the book had in it. Right. Which I thought was like pretty effective. And Wilbur was a character you actually liked. He wasn't just some boring pig that everybody was working their butt off to save. He was he actually was someone who had something interesting going on throughout the movie. Did anybody watch any other any other movies that had to do with the books that we read by chance? <laughs> well, I didn't get around to watching any of the Chocolate Factory adaptations, but I did manage to find um a made-for-TV movie uh, of Maniac McGee made by Nickelodeon in the early 2000s. I think it was like 2001, I want to say. But uh, it uses the source material, but it's really just kind of cartoony, more cartoony than you would want <laughs> Maniac McGee to be treated. Uh, did it tackle issues? Um, It was playing two-hand touch with the issues. <laughs> okay. It didn't tackle anything. Like the town is is divided by a literal line drawn down Hector Street, with the words East and West visible there, and everyone on the east side is black, and everyone on the west side is white. And apparently, it was because of the will of the founder of the town. And there's this big like authoritarian looking statue of the stagio white guy in the town square on Hector street. Mm. And (laughs) white guy, you say, Hmm, strange. Right. (laughs) Well, it's, it's uh, kind of cartoony the way that the, like the division was played out. Uh, 
it didn't seem to be that based in like real life segregation. I think maybe Nickelodeon thought it was a little bit too heady of a a concept for kids to be to be tackling. But uh, yeah, like the first um, example of you know, rejection that uh, that Maniac got was actually from uh, Mr. Cobble, played by Garrett Morris, <laughs> a. Uh, and he's a black guy, and he's saying, "Go, go back across, go back across that line, Westy. You're, you're Westy. You don't belong here. Get, go on, get, get stepping." And it's Garrett Morris, and everyone loves Garrett Morris. You don't right. want to see him <laughs> telling tell the white kid to go back across the line. Well, but, it, uh, it sounds yeah. like they tried to boil down the racism and not have it be like, "Oh, all these white people are racist." No, 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 no. This is just the way things are because one white guy made it that way. It's not all white people. That's what it sounds like to me. Like when you say when I don't know, that's what it feels like is like, yeah, like it was like very localized to the town yeah, rather it, than being a product of culture at large. Right, right. It's like a it's it's that argue. It's not all men. It's not all white people. It's not all this. You know, that's what it sounds like when you say that they had a statue of this guy and he was the founder of the town they tried to boil it down to make it more i don't know make it easier to digest for kids maybe but at the same time i think that does it a disservice maybe don't do maniac mcgee then if you're not willing to (laughs) if you're not willing to take it as it is and Mm -hmm. tell the story then don't do it you know right and you know how the racial divide was solved in this movie Mm -hmm. so maniac Brings Mars Bar to uh, to the birthday party towards towards the end of the end of the movie, and which, by the way, Mars Bar is played by probably the least intimidating looking <laughs> kid out of all of the the kids that were around him. Like he's the he's the shortest. He's got like the softest features. He doesn't look bad, you know. <laughs> Like everybody around him is taller than him and yet still kind of getting their marching orders from this guy. Anyway. Yeah, um, he doesn't look but- he doesn't look like a tough guy like you expect him to look. <laughs> oh my god, no, he doesn't look like a tough guy at all. Are you looking at it now? Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. That's not a tough guy. He's not he's like barely even taller than the kid playing Maniac. Right. <laughs> and it's not that I really pictured him being taller than Maniac or necessarily the tallest kid around, but uh, he, he's, he's got like nothing to, uh, <laughs> to, to be like ordering the other kids around or it's like, they all think the, they're humoring him in <laughs> thinking that he's bad. Right. I mean, he's supposed to be, yeah, he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be tough. He's supposed to be this tough guy, you know, and this, this guy that played him is not come off as a tough guy. He comes off as a sweet kid. He looks like a sweet kid yeah. to me. <laughs> like a nice kid. Snickers. <laughs> He's Snickers. Yeah. But anyways, Maniac brings him to the party. Um, I, I'm i forgetting a lot of details because I watched this movie on 420. But um, <laughs> essentially, Piper, like the smaller of the McNabb kids, um, is like falling off the balcony of the house and... His brother Russell is trying to hold him, but his grip is slipping. So Mars Bar rushes in, catches Piper when he falls, right? And 
now the pipe piper's safe, but the balcony is collapsing because it's kind of an old house. And it's, the balcony's kind of made of stone, whatever, and the stone is about to fall onto Mars Bar. And uh, John Mc, George McNabb, John McNabb, John McNabb, the big the big brother, uh, runs and saves Mars Bar from the collapsing balcony. And so they're all like, "Yeah, everyone's cool. We're all cool now." And so th- uh, their dad. Who's <laughs> the character's name in the movie is Dad McNabb, <laughs> not John McNabb. It's John mm. McNabb in the book, right? It's George McNabb. Or George. Yep. George. Fuck. Anyways, played by Rip Torn. <laughs> He's he appears throughout the movie as just this really loud, brash, you know, preparing for war kind of guy, but doesn't seem racist, just crazy. Right. He, He's stockpiled cans and cans and cans and cans of beans and beets and says that the Eastenders are coming to steal his beans. <laughs> so okay. he's not played like a racist. He's played like a crazy person. Right. And well, and then so like also from what you just said to me, like in the book, Mars Bar saves one of the little brothers. It was either Piper uh-huh. or Russell, but he saves him off the trolley. There was no other person there. Mars Bar goes and saves him, takes the kids home. And after taking them home, he's able, his mom helps them, gets them all cleaned up. And then they stay the whole day loving on his mom. And then his dad takes them home and they still like do the whole like, oh, you know, you want to come in and play? You can be one of the part of the whites or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. What you just told me is that in the Nickelodeon movie, they made sure that even though Mars Bar saved the day, saved Piper, don't worry. Big white hope John McNabb came and saved Mars Bar. Right. So they because added that extra point. They're up. capable of saving each other. And that's so, what fixes everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Dad McNabb, played by Rip Torn, leads the the big group of uh of all his his young uh wards or whatever, his his group of white kids and all the black kids that Mars Bar had brought brought over to the party and they all go to the town square and dad McNabb shoots down uh, shoots off the head of the statue of the founder with his cannon Jesus. So <laughs> racism saved wow. so racism stopped and it was stopped by the crazy white guy who's been yep. the biggest racist and when he did that the line physically magically disappeared down the street what? Like there was a oh really lame effect added to wow. this line just being erased <laughs> from the street. And everybody's all like, yeah. And all the blacks, black guys are hugging the white guys and everybody's mingling at the end and racism is fixed, y'all. <laughs> Great. Well, it's that easy. So Nick, we need Nickelodeon. to find, yeah, we yes. need to find a statue somewhere and shoot its head off. Clearly, this is what the problem is. <laughs> yes, we need to destroy statues of the founders. Ooh, whoa! I mean, we kind of are doing that. We, yeah. That's kind of yeah. <laughs> kind Maybe of we have we have to uh, take down the founding fathers. S- mm. So. Anyways, I think I was going to bring up. So there were there were black people in this movie, correct? Oh yeah, because there weren't any in the live action 
Charlotte's Web that really there's two that I saw. <laughs> right. <laughs> it took place in rural Maine. Yeah. So yeah, ah, it was Charlotte's it was a Web. very white story. Yeah, Charlotte's <laughs> Web, there's a point where the whole crowd gathers and I is actually blinded because of it was so it's so bright white. I'm like, Everyone oh my at the goodness, county fair is just the big crowd shot. And I'm they like, purposely cast the <laughs> the movie, all the extras to be white. Well, I mean, the author's name is E.B. White, so everybody's got to be white, right? Right, I guess, for sure. <laughs> More like Weeby White, am I right? At least you had some, some black voice actors for some of the animals. You had Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. Holy crap. Like, huge name. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge Oprah, name. Oprah, Cedric the Entertainer, and like I said before, Andre 3000. Yep. All in the movie. So I mean they were there. It just it it just was crazy to me when it came to that point. I'm like, that isn't even reasonably diverse enough to show in towns that I lived in that were super white, there were more black people that lived in the town than that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I just it was crazy to me. I that mean was it was noticeable. probably realistic. It's like what fifties Maine? Yeah, for that time, fifties fifties Maine, it probably is realistic, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the population of Maine looked like at the time. It was just something that stuck out when I was watching a movie that was made in 2006. Right. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not it was realistic, I don't know that that's the thing you want for realism. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, there were animals talking. Yeah, there were animals talking for God's sake. And stuff. Yeah, and writing it, writing letters in a web. So, <laughs> be, Between both of these things, too, I think it's important for us to acknowledge our our lack of perspective in this arena with this whole subject anyways, you know, I mean, Oh yeah. We're we're three white guys. Yeah. Three white guys who have lived our lives mainly in communities that were as such as well. And so even in reading Maniac McGee, you know, it's written by Jerry Spinelli, who is also a white guy. Um, In the book, they have an interview with him where he talks about when he was a kid Uh, They ask how he relates to Maniac McGee in this whole situation. And he says, well, I've been the only white kid at a black kid's party. So he has some probably more perspective than any of us on this subject. But even though even there, I mean, Maniac McGee is good of a book as it is. And them tackling the issues that they tackle in that book. That book suffers and it was written in the 90s. Okay, and so, Mm -hmm. you know, you consider it compared to today and what more we know. But even then, at the end of the day, Maniac McGee was a great white hope. He was a savior for the community that that was able to bring people together. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. as much as I liked the book and as much as I think that everyone should read it, and it really does teach us something, it, it suffers from those things in the hindsight of 2020 and 2020's hindsight, you know? Does it say anything that Maniac kind of needed saving at the end? And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, so at the end, it was Amanda and Mars Bar that saved Maniac. And it was the Beale family that saved Maniac. It wasn't Rip Torn shooting a head off a statue. <laughs> it was it was people that are people. They're just people that like Maniac. And there was no more to it than that, you know. Well, there were people that loved Maniac. That there were was people the that loved he, Maniac. It was yeah. a family. It was a family. And so that's what that's what saved Maniac was love of a family. Right. Having a family. And that family happened to be from the side of town that the other side of town 
was calling rebels and well, not the whole other side of town, mainly the nabs, but yeah. you know, right. clearly, clearly they weren't necessarily welcome on the other side of town, you know? So yeah, I, I just think it's interesting how it sure sounds like they took maniac McGee and they turned it into a great white hope movie even though it already suffered a little bit from that that title, that uh, whole subject, but they made it like almost more so by adding more great white hopes. Rip Torn is a great white hope, you know. <laughs> John McNabb apparently <laughs> is a great white hope. I just it's it's kind of strange to me that they did that eleven years after it was written. Well, they took the bad part. Of, they took the bad guys of the book. They took them and turned them into heroes. Right. It was like they couldn't not have a they couldn't have any bad people in the movie apparently. Right. They like everybody had to be a hero. Everybody had to have a redemption story it seems. Right. They wanted Whereas to give in the them book, redeemable qualities. That's not how it works cuz that's not how it works in real life. Right. Not everybody gets mm-hmm. a redemption story. Some people are just assholes and pieces of shit. It's just how they are. Unfortunately. It's just, you know. Yeah, George McNabb from the book did not learn any lessons and I don't think he ever will. Right. You know, interesting. I'm glad you told us about it, though, because I definitely don't want to watch it. Because, again, (laughs) that book is one of my favorites, and I don't want it ruined by that crap. (laughs) Oh, come on. They they make Maniac run around with, like, a sped-up film effect, and they, like, put this blur behind him. So he's, like, running, like, super fast, and he's got this computerized blur. (laughs) <laughs> with he, w- with nonstop zoomy sound effects to boot. Maniac McGee did not have superpowers. <laughs> he was just <laughs> oddly good at things that were athletic. <laughs> he oh. was just legendary. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they like did did like the effect contortions on the kid's face when he was finster wallying. Oh man. <laughs> that I might want to see. Yeah, I was gonna say I might look that part up. <laughs> and the CGI frog ball in glorious early 21st century <laughs> cgi oh god <laughs> <clears throat> watching movies from back then i'm like wow there is a period from like the late 80s into the mid 90s where you can excuse the cgi and then from like 95 <laughs> to like 2003 if it wasn't a triple a movie the CGI mm-hmm. is awful. And I am I sit there watching it. And I think, I watched this movie back then, and I thought this was amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a perfect example of that. Have you guys ever seen 3,000 Miles to Graceland? Yes. No. It's okay. The movie itself was, mm. But yeah. the opening sequence is literally a CGI fight between two CGI scorpions, <laughs> which have nothing to do with the movie at all. But I do remember that looking amazing back then. It was amazing. It was like, wow, wow. And then you watch it now and you're like, this looks like a child. This is baby. garbage. This is garbage. Why is this in this movie? This movie's about Elvis impersonators robbing a casino. <laughs> Why are these two CGI scorpions fighting? This makes no sense. Crazy. Because they could, you guys. People are definitely inserting CGI into movies when they had no business doing it. It was that time. I don't know how Jurassic Park did it so fucking well. Because Jurassic Park didn't just use CGI. They used a lot of practical effects. Well, sure, but even when it was CGI, it was still really good, really spot on. Probably like the darkness of it all, though. I mean, it was dark and they had the the creatures didn't have like bright colors or anything like that. I mean, 
again, there was minimal CGI, I believe, in in Jurassic Park. It was mostly practical effects. Mm-hmm. It was just a good mixture. Plus, they had the money. It, you know, it's a Steven Spielberg picture. Right. So that's, that's what they I'm saying. They like, had the funds. Triple A movie. Well, I mean, money is one thing, but there were people out there with the talent to blend it so well. And I guess that talent doesn't really translate all over the place. No, they got eaten no. They're too by busy dinosaurs. making Jurassic Park. <laughs> <clears throat> as far as I know, they all got eaten by dinosaurs. That's why. Mm. That's why when we got to Jurassic Park uh, or Jurassic World Two, we had a Velociraptor riding a T Rex into battle. That was the first one. <laughs> was it the first I saw one? That. Okay, yeah. That was Jurassic World. You and I saw that <clears throat> in the theater. I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because we Did wanted that- to see something else, and that that movie wasn't playing or something. I don't remember. It was oh, years man. ago. I just remember um, something Howard. What's I know her last name is Howard, um, but the the main character, one of the main characters, she's the redhead. When she goes to get the T Rex, Bryce Bryce it, Dallas Howard. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yep, she uh, goes to get the T Rex and then runs back to them, bringing the T Rex with a flare, kind of a throwback to the first movie with the whole flare thing. But mm-hmm. she does all of that in like four inch heels. And I'm like, you know, in the first Jurassic Park, they were running away from it in a fucking Jeep. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow she ran halfway across the park in four inch heels carrying a flare. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it's either A, women are amazing or B, guys who make movies are so sold on making women wear heels all the time that they will ignore the logistics of all that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess that just goes back to lack of perspective. Uh, yep. yeah, lack of perspective. Yeah, that's we don't wear of... high heels, right? So we don't understand how they actually work. And obviously, whoever wrote that scene also didn't know how high heels work. <laughs> right. I-, I can tell you, I don't know how high heels work. I've never worn them myself, but. In my experience, from my mom all the way down to every other woman I've ever met, I've never heard them say, high heels are really comfortable. My favorite thing to do is go for a terrifying run in them. (laughs) (laughs) If you run for your life, you got to take them heels off. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't really know that we're pressuring women into wearing heels at all. I think it's... (laughs) No, and I don't think we're pressuring either because, I, yeah, I mean, it's a choice thing at this point, but there definitely was a pressure that led to the time where we're at a choice now, where the choice is being made. You know, I don't know. Right, but I feel like we should be thinking more practically about more practical footwear, having these women do things in movies. Right, right. Like there's that scene in, in Justice League where Wonder Woman is like dropping down like 20, 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> or landing more. in heels yeah and she yeah. lands in heels i mean it is wonder woman so i can let it go with sure her. yeah yeah we can suspend a little disbelief for wonder woman but still right right i mean those those heels have to absorb a lot of um uh, a lot of momentum a lot of force and i just don't know how <laughs> the 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 area of the feet that you're landing on it doesn't seem conducive to a uh, a good landing 
I I really feel like since since high heels were something that back in like the 16 1700s men used to wear high heels and I think that if high heels were a comfortable practical shoe it they wouldn't have gone why did they go out of favor with men I feel like there's a reason they went out of favor and and they were kept in favor for women through that time too so I have a feeling it has something to do with the fact that they aren't practical at all, you know. So, anyways, we're talking I mean, it's about what, it's what it does to the it's what it does to the posture. It's just being up on on your toes, it makes the butt stick out, it makes right? the chest stick out. Yep, it so, also makes you taller, and yeah, it puts you a couple inches taller. Yep, and I mean that's the perfect thing. You that's you basically need them to do the the bend and snap. So, <laughs> right. Yep, the bend and snap requires heels. Which I've seen, uh, <laughs> and then I'm ready to get off the subject of heels in Jurassic Park since we're talking about the books that we <laughs> read. Yeah, now we're just going off into movies that we like, apparently. <laughs> now we're a podcast about heels. <laughs> about heels, high heels. But uh, Gonna get my mom on next time. Oh, she's a shoe lady. There was a TikTok trend for a minute there where a bunch of men were uh, throwing heels on and doing stuff like chopping wood and like all these crazy things and stuff like that. And they were they were doing it specifically because the the hateful people out there kept on going, oh, that's not for me. Blah, 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 blah. And they were like, fuck you. And they were just throwing on these heels. One guy actually did it in like a freaking uh uh party dress like a dress and leggings and everything and he goes out and he chops a bunch of wood it was great nice <laughs> so speaking of chopping wood and heels um what uh what endings did we miss in secret of the ninja cuz i was really bothered by our ending i think our ending it I don't just know. yeah it seemed anticlimactic to it me it did i feel like we could dive back into this book at another point in the future nope we're not doing and that <laughs> well that's there what you said there are more adventures to be had there are more, there are adventures, more adventures to be, to be had. had but do we own any of those other adventures is my is my point it doesn't we matter will. if we own them i will if i do the next one i will get the book it's fine i'm just saying i think that i i feel that we should revisit it and because again, we didn't even see ninjas. I know we haven't even seen ninjas. I I get you, but my thing is, is that I think that when we do a choose your own adventure, and and I know that I feel Andy agrees with me on this one, we get the adventure that we get. And if anybody wants to read the book and try and get other adventures, that's great and stuff like that. But now what we know, what we learned from Secret of the Ninja, the secret was. Think hard about your choice because you might end up underwater with lizard people just handing a sword over and then going back home. In exchange for exposition. And never find a single ninja. (laughs) Well, in that case, I guess you'll you'll just never know those endings because you you made your choices. So that's the ending you got. Oh, so, Josh. No. Why do you want to revisit no. Secret of the oh, Ninja no. so All of a sudden, you don't we like just, it. We just want also, to know. Also, I haven't looked. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly, I haven't looked. We I know that there are other ones. I You really should have went back in time. I, I That's how you're going to meet the ninjas. And there I, are. Yeah. You just basically made the worst choices possible for this book. And that's why you ended up with the ending that you got. Right. But I think it's important that we I think it's important that when we choose the adventure, we go on the adventure we take, because if we 
if we sit there and we try to get the adventure we want, I mean, first off, we could make a three-hour podcast trying to choose all the right choices. But second, I, there's there's no finality to it. I, I like the idea that we chose the adventure we got. Now, it's going to depend on the book because I know there are some choose-your-own-adventures and I know there's give-yourself-goosebumps books where the first or second choice you make is an end. And that's not going to work. So whatever one we choose to do next, and I'm totally down to read the next one, unless Andy wants to fight me for it, but I'm down to read the next one because I love the whole making voices and doing all that stuff. So I'm like, oh, my God, I want to do this. (laughs) It's like (laughs) Josh has the more fun part of this episode. Um, yeah, it is yeah, fun reading to you guys. Yeah. yeah, well, and not just that, but but coming up with voices and like bringing them out like that, I, it was just great. Um, but I'm I, like, I'm definitely going to probably like read through the book and make some choices myself and stuff like that. Not to say now, I'm not going to say to you guys like, oh, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Sure you want to do that? But I would want to know that we're not going to end up with like two choices in. It's the end of the book. You know what I mean? Yeah, because. Yeah, I don't think those choose your own adventure books as compared to like the give yourself goosebumps books or maybe even some of the choose your own adventure books. But I feel like the choose your own adventure books had you go down a number of choices before you got to the end. Whereas I clearly remember uh, some give yourself goosebumps books that were like the first or second choice was the end. You know, that's super lame. Yeah, that's lame. I do. I do remember some books where you would like it was like. Do you make this choice and basically continue the story or do you make this choice and it's instantly <laughs> and then it's like you wake up and it's like you woke up from your dream and now you go on with your life. It's like, really? That's the end of the book. Right. Wow. I'm definitely going to go back to that page and <laughs> make the correct choice. Right. And I mean, we did allow ourselves to have a mulligan, but I, I wasn't I wasn't prepared to take a mulligan on that. I, I actually I mean, we went on an adventure. It was exciting in its own way but it didn't Mm -hmm. have any ninjas in it yeah i mean the mulligan that we took was essentially kind of the same thing right gave up the sword to a strange creature who kind of hinted at uh, a deep dark past whatever we got more exposition from the uh the dragon lady mermaid people than we got from the lava creatures Right. But it's essentially the same ending coming off of that single branch. Yeah. And I mean, because, yeah, we would have had to take our mulligan at least back to the research, if not to traveling through time to get. Mm, Right. I wonder if there was any any branch that took us all the way to San Francisco. Like if we gave the sword up to the Karen or whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, we could have made those choices, too. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't look. I, I did look, and most of those choices turned into endings fairly quickly. Right. Yeah. No, I feel like okay. the bad choice was to take the sword, which I disagree with the author on that. Oh, yeah. I think we made the most logical decisions. Right. Taking a choice, taking the sword was a good way to go. And but I think having the best adventures in these series involves, like, they made it so that you take the less logical option and it works out better. Right. I think they they fuck with you some it's to some extent with those choices. You made the choices of an adult and a kid yes. would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally going to go back in time. That sounds way cooler." <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do yeah. research. Yeah. Yeah, we're like, "We're taking it. Go back in time. That's crazy. Let's make the practical decision and find out who sent the sword to us." <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I'm just going to keep that on the back burner um, just in case we do want to revisit it and go back in time. Ugh, maybe we'll do a, a Patreon someday because you won't get off of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to. See, here's what we got to do is we got to go back in time and we got to make that choice. So we'll go, back so we'll time, go back in time. Kill me that so go that back. I can't complain about it. <laughs> right. Then, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. We could just do that now. <laughs> I mean, complaining from here on out can be gone. <laughs> if you were gonna be so heartfelt about it, Josh, you should have picked a different book. <laughs> I think I think it's a good idea that we stick with our choices. But I would not be against someday making a special uh, episode that people can get to somehow uh, for where we make a different choice, I guess. <laughs> That's what I was kind of getting at, but I didn't want to spoil it or possibly do a live episode. Because again, that will happen at some point in our future because we love you and we know that you love us. So you're going to have lots of people listen to us. I know it. Speaking of things that everybody loves, happy Star Wars Day, everybody. Ooh, Star yes. Wars Day. This episode's releasing on May the 4th. Nice. Man, Star Wars is great. Six movies, a bunch of series, um, comics. Yeah, Star Wars is great. I own lightsabers, multiple lightsabers. Didn't you make the hilt of one of them? I have not finished my lightsaber hilt yet, no. Uh, yeah, you you got your... Uh... On a brief, uh, brief kick about making lightsabers. Oh no, I'm still, started, I'm but... still going to, but um, trying to get myself out in 20 degree weather in the garage and build a lightsaber <laughs> wasn't happening. I'm like, I can wait, I can wait on this lightsaber. Right, and I've seen how much <laughs> stuff is in your garage at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, that doesn't change. I, you know, I have to move. I've got kids' yeah. stuff out there. I've got bikes and all that. Yeah. I mean, it and is what the it low is. temperatures didn't help with that. No, no. 20 degrees? Ugh. That's why I moved to California. <laughs> get away from that. <laughs> so you can get 30 degree winners. Andy, you didn't call me on the six movies comment. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there. We can make this a six hour podcast on... <laughs> Sequel movies are fine. They're just fine, but they exist, but they're fine. <laughs> they're Fine, it's fine. It's fine. You're just Everybody's angry because you don't fine. have the high ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. It is pretty. Well, I don't. I don't know how to describe it, but the way that the prequels have kind of blown up in in meme form. Right. It's weird that they're the most kind of the most popular of the movies out there now. You know, specifically Revenge of the Sith. Right. Yeah, you know, the high ground stuff, and uh, I've seen a bunch of little clips where it's Anakin and uh, Obi Wan arguing back and forth at the end there, and mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of memes around Anakin slaughtering the younglings. Yep. Oh, there's lots of those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the, gen the General Grievous, General Kenobi. Well, I mean, realistically, those. So, like, the old Star Wars are, are good in their own right, you know what I mean? But they came out when we were not even born, the first one at least. So then mm -hmm. the, the Star Wars, the prequels, were, were our childhood movies, realistically. They're the ones we were able to go see in theaters, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Well, and, the special edition of the original trilogy were yeah, yeah, my, they, my childhood. They were my childhood uh, introduction to the series. Oh, see, I had already we'll watched say. all of them prior to that. I had seen all the Star Wars. You had my... watched the original pre, uh, pre-special edition? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, oh, yeah, we had those on VHS. Oh, yeah. Or beta. We, we might have had them on beta. Star Wars, the the original Star Wars movies, and Indiana Jones were constant plays in, in my home. So, mm. so then the prequels, you know... They introduced us to something just like crazy when you got to the point of Jedi fights and and all that with the lightsabers. That was just amazing to me. And I was able to look past so many things, you know, that our issues and I see it now and I'm like, oh, God, you know. (laughs) But at the same time, as soon as it gets to a fight scene, I'm like, this is the greatest, you know. (laughs) And even with the even with the sequels. They they could have been good. And the funny thing is, is that the issues I have with the sequels are not the same issues that I see people arguing about. Like I see people arguing about all these issues like Ray, Ray's a Mary Sue. I'm like, what are you talking about? Every single every single character in these movies is at one point or another is somehow just suddenly given <laughs> more power. So that isn't my mm, argument I mean, with the sequels. <laughs> I it's like the chosen one. It's the yeah. whole chosen one thing. Like Anakin right. was the chosen one of the prequels. Luke is the chosen one of the original trilogy. And now Ray is the chosen one of the sequels. Right. You know, they're suddenly amazing. They have all this power and there's no real explanation why. Don't sit here and tell me that they changed yeah. the formula. That's not what <laughs> and no stormtrooper can hit them. Yeah. They have plot armor. Yeah. No, my, my problem with the movies was something entirely different. And we don't need to get into it. But I'm just saying, like, it was just... They were bad, but (laughs) so they were just not sufficiently written to meet the astronomical expectations. Yeah, I don't have I didn't have astronomical expectations, but they not sufficiently written is a good way to put it. So, (laughs) So. beyond that, though, I mean, like, so we uh, we obviously all like Star Wars to varying degrees of passion. Um, we, we talked earlier about Jurassic Park, so we, we clearly, we like movies too, but, uh, what other kind of growing up, like what kind of media did you guys consume? Well, one thing that I loved more than a lot of people, I think, uh, was the Calvin Hobbes comic strip. I used to read it every single day in the paper, every Sunday, we'd always get the funnies and Mm. it really... Like reading it now, because I, I subscribe to the subreddit, so every single day I get a comic about about uh, Coven and Hobbes, and even now they it's just like I I see them and I read them and I'm like they are still relevant to this day. They still make sense. Uh, they're just they just been such an important part of my life. And absolutely, actually, a few years ago for Christmas, I got my brother the box set, and so Ooh, he nice. was able to go through and reread all of them. I got to, when I was staying with him, I did the same thing. I went through and read them all again. And they're just great comics. They're very, they're just great. I, I don't know how else to describe them. Yeah, they really are. I read a lot, a lot of Calvin and Hobbes as a kid too. And it, yeah, you're right. It was, it had very prescient ideas written into it and just kind of evergreen uh, takes on on a lot of stuff, on being a kid on uh, kind of philosophical uh, looks at life, the universe, and everything, I guess. 
Yeah, no, there were times when Kelvin and Hobbes would be um, trying to think of the word I just had, but it, it it was obscure. But at the same time, I don't know. They, yeah, they would they would make a point and it was the point through the eyes of a kid. But that point could be read by anybody and be like, holy crap. Yeah, that's wise, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what a vocabulary that kid had for being, what, like 10 years old? Right. He's using some really, really heady words. It was almost like he was written by an adult or something. <laughs> right. But it wasn't to, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily portray him as smart because, you know, he was not, not a very good student, uh, but still he was, he was a deep thinker. That Calvin. I would argue that being a good student, being smart are two different things. This is true. Yeah. Remember, there there is one specific comic where he says, "If you keep your expectations low, you know that's the way to do it. Is that way you don't have to try." Unfortunately, he learned that very early, apparently in life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is again, though, a smart thing, you know. So yeah, <laughs> then success is a pleasant surprise. I mean, I have a Kelvin Hobbes tattoo. Oh, that's right, you do. And it makes me sad that most people, when they see Kelvin, they're just like, oh, he's that guy that pees on things. No, he never <laughs> peed on anything in the comic. <laughs> he pees just, on the Chevy logo on my truck. He I mean, pees on Joe Biden. <laughs> the only thing worse than that is when they they have him praying. I'm just like, no. That's, uh, that's oh, yeah. Not, uh, that's worse. That's so much worse. That's not Calvin at all. Nope. <laughs> Kevin is agnostic at most. But people that do that kind of stuff, put all that kind of stuff. I mean, do we expect them to look further into something or understand its concept at all? No, (laughs) they're being told (laughs) they're being told concepts and they just go with it. (laughs) I mean, there's Bill Watterson never licensed Kelvin and Hobbes for a reason. So whenever you see a sticker like that is basically trademark trademark infringement yes i did it to myself i have on my body but it's more of a tribute in my opinion because it was you know so important to me growing up that that's why i got it it's not because i wanted somebody to make money off of his image have or you anything ever like heard that. of somebody being sued over a tattoo they got yeah no i don't think you get sued by a tattoo like, yeah there's a lot of people get like copyrighted characters tattooed on them. Speaking of which, how many people have Taz? How many people have a Tasmanian devil? My dad, my dad has an Indiana Taz. It, it was it was funny because his friend drew it for him, right? And it's Taz with the whip, and he's got the gun belt on and like the Indiana Jones hat, and he's like whipping. And at the end of the whip, the uh, it looks like an F. Okay, and my dad's buddy drew that for him specifically because everybody called him F back in the day, right? And my dad was so happy with the tattoo. Everybody loved it. Everybody would see it. They'd be like, that's so cool. What a great tattoo. Oh, my God, that fits you so well, blah, blah. And then years later, my dad walked into a tattoo shop, and he's going through the book, and there sits the Indiana Jones Taz tattoo on a page, for people to look at and pick. And my dad's like, this was my tattoo. This was supposed to be mine. Like, no one else gets this one. My buddy custom drew it. <laughs> and they're all like, no, no, somebody did. He goes, no. At the end of the whip, there is an F. And he's like pointing it out. And I mean, he 
whatever. He couldn't do anything about it. As far as I remember, he couldn't like tear the page out or something. But yeah, so there's people out there possibly that got this same tattoo and have no idea that they have my dad's initial on their body. (laughs) (laughs) And oh, but today, today I went and got my uh, I got my first covid dose of uh for the vaccine and excellent i get home tonight nice. and i finally am like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna take the band-aid off and i take the band-aid off and when i took the band-aid off i realized of all the space on my arm that he could have stuck the needle in he stuck it right between the batman symbol and superman symbol on my tattoo <laughs> like in the tattoo <laughs> and i'm like there's all this space of untouched skin. Why did you give me your sh- the shot in my tattoo? <laughs> reasons. Yeah, reasons. <laughs> he was like, oh, good, a target. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye. Bullseye. Got it. Well, I know that when I was growing up, uh, I really didn't read comic books or anything when I was a kid. I just had uh, the TV shows, you know, Spider-Man, Batman, animated series Uh, As far as those Mm kind of comics went, but I did have my mom had a bunch of Archie comics and she gave them to me at some point and I would read these Archie comics and thinking back on them now, I mean, I'm talking I was like eight, nine years old reading the Archie comics and the themes in Archie comics are definitely like teenager themes, not adult, but but teenager themes and I just remember loving them. I would read them all the time. I'd sit there reading until one or two o'clock in the morning, get in trouble because I was still awake. Uh, so that was the comic I read the most of. And I, I did have a couple of Calvin and Hobbes. You know how they had those books you could get that were uh, a combination of all the different funnies from the newspapers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 The yeah, days like, are just like packed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Attack of the Deranged Killer Mountain Snow Goons. Yep. Yeah, I have all of those. Yep, I had yeah. I had a couple of those for Calvin and Hobbes. I would pick those out of the Scholastic Book Fair <laughs> catalog things. Like those in the Goosebumps. I actually look forward to giving Bruce and Clark their first copies of those because I want to. Once they're old enough, I want them to enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, I think they, I think they will be patient so. on that because I had to take away the Ghostbuster book you gave them so that it didn't get <sighs> totally destroyed. Oh man, that's true. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Xander, my son is uh, actually starting to to read up on the the Calvin and Hobbes books that I have, and uh, he was kind of enjoying it for for a little bit there. Nice. Okay, so he relates to Calvin, I think. Yeah. I think I think a lot of boys relate to Kelvin on some level. Probably a lot of kids in general relate to Kelvin. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it's less about the fact that, you know, Kelvin isn't relatable to girls and more about the fact that it probably wasn't something that was given to girls, you know, at the when they were coming <laughs> out back then. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he has a he has a club get rid of stinky girls. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 so. <laughs> get rid of slimy girls. girls. Club. Yeah. The girls club. Well, I again, this is another situation where a lot of girls I know don't want other girls around. So it's like, you know, they're like, <laughs> they would probably relate to that club as well. But it was he mainly had that club because of Susie, Susie Jenkins, the girl, the neighborhood girl that he had a crush on. So, of course, it was that. Remember, he the one she was like, I want to join your club. And he's like, no. <laughs> He's like, give me the apples. And then Hobbs is like, no, I like her. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just remembering Kelvin Hobbs comics. Thanks, guys. Thanks. 
Yeah, I read comics sometimes too, uh, like comic book comics. I didn't follow any or like subscribe to any whatever, but some for some reason they would just kind of accumulate somehow. But uh, I had like a bunch of um, a lot of like uh, cartoon show adaptation comics. Like I'd have Transformers and GI Joe, like Silverhawks comics mixed in with the the usual like spider-man and uh what else did i have there but yeah but just random comics never like any full art story arcs weirdly yeah i never accumulated any story arcs even when at some point i started buying spawn comics in the late 90s and uh i would forget like for two months or something and then go back and buy the next one that had come out after two months and so i never knew the full story i was always <laughs> missing some portion of it and it wasn't like now where i could just get on amazon and be like i'm gonna order all of them in a row <laughs> mm-hmm. i think what it was is i would get like the the five packs or three packs or whatever that they would have in the uh the video game aisle at meyer from back in the day yep and there were always, always like random comics that could be fun though ollie's has uh trade paperbacks for comics yes and I I actually have quite the collection now because I got into that more recently in the last five or six years. The first one I got was The Dark Knight Returns, which is mm. easily one of my favorites. Uh, there's a movie adaptation, an animated movie adaptation that's absolutely awesome. But the uh, trade paperback I got, it was like a four comic series and it's just it's such a great, such a great book. And then after that, it was like Watchmen. I uh, just started getting all these different trade paperbacks that are pretty. Yeah, uh, Ollie's is so, like has a surprisingly good <laughs> selection of trade paperbacks for just like a couple bucks each. Right. Yeah. No, they're cheap. Super cheap. I keep forgetting to to go there. <laughs> yeah. For those, but I got a bunch of Star Wars trades from there. You know, at Ollie's, good stuff, cheap. Yep. Come on down from California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have Ollie's. You don't have, I bet you got tons of places. Not really. Like we have uh, Five Below, but you guys have a Five Below. We do we have, have Five, five Below. Yeah. It's not exactly like an Ollie's, though. No. Yeah, we don't have an Ollie's. We, uh, we have some things that are similar. Like, you have an Aldi. We have Grocery Outlet. Grocery mm. Outlet, Bargain Market. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just like their slogan. It's fun. But, eh, you know, we don't have anything like that that I can think of. Just like a weird store, I guess. There's this place called That's Cheap, and that just has a lot of random stuff in it. But it's not really that cheap. So I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of a lie as far That's as the name lie. goes. But yeah, not, not that I can think of. No, no stores like that, unfortunately. Yeah, I wish I could say that I read... Most of the time as a kid, but no, I was, I played a lot of Nintendo. I played a lot of Super Nintendo and N64. And what I did read was like the uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly. I had a subscription to to that and I'd go through those more often than I'd read actual books. But I did read books here and there. It's just, I like my video games better. I played a fair amount of NES, uh, but ours, our, we had to go to grandma's house to play video games mind you she was a quarter mile away so if we really wanted to we could always walk over there and we we were allowed a half an hour of game time i remember there being a half an hour but i think it was always extended because i don't hmm. maybe i just remember it because i liked it so much but 
I do remember playing a lot of video games, especially on weekends at grandma's house. Or uh, when we finally did get it, it was we ended up buying a top loader, which I still have to this day. So and it still works. I still love it. It was I got to go through those games. It, (laughs) It was definitely extended. And the reason I know this is because I can't tell you how many times I've told the kids that they only have so long to play something or do something. And then I realize an hour and a half later that I've forgotten I gave them a time limit and I'm busy doing yep. something else. So you definitely yep. got it extended just by being quiet. <laughs> by not being a problem, yep. your parents will forget how long they told you. Like it's happened time and time again. I've told Xander, you know, 15 minutes till bedtime. And then I get caught up reading something, looking at Facebook or doing whatever. And (laughs) suddenly I see that 45 minutes have blown by. (laughs) Because for those, that period of time, he's been quiet and good (laughs) because he didn't want to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as he starts becoming a problem, the clock becomes very, you become very aware of what time it is. Yep. I, I did read a lot when I was a kid. Um, I actually, coming back to reading uh, for this, because it's been years since I picked up books and sat there and just read, and I started thinking about it a lot, and I, I, I read books all the time. I mean, like I mentioned in our first episode, my mom let me start reading Stephen King books fairly early, and so she had a whole collection of those, and those are pretty substantial books for to, to read in general. And I always ended up liking them. Like my favorite Stephen King book is it. And that's a 900 page book. And it's not, it's not the big 12 point font print that you have in, uh, you know, goosebumps or whatever. So I did read a lot when I was a kid and I, I wanted to mention a book series that is is really great and i almost wish we could do it but it's not a kids series necessarily but the resident evil book series um i don't know if you guys have played the original games not the more recent ones but the original games uh there was somebody who did a novelization of those games and i actually want to read them again because the writing style does not feel like you're reading a book. It feels like you're running along on a story. It's they're really engaging. The action is all really good. It I was amazed by those books because somebody told me about them. They're like, oh, you should check this out. I was like, nah, you know, I played the games, I watched <laughs> the movies, and they're like, no, trust me, you'll like them. And I started reading, and it's just it's very immersive, and I don't know. I can't describe it. You, sh- it, they shouldn't be as good as they are. Is what I was <laughs> what I would say. They should not be as good as they are. Sh- they should not be that well written. Yeah, I remember I used to own a couple novelizations of uh, of Nintendo games. I had like I had a book based on Metal Gear, of uh, one based on Blaster Master, and I think one based on Castlevania Two. <laughs> I think it was like the Worlds of Power series or whatever, but uh, I don't remember them being. V- as well written as you described the the Resident Evil adaptations being. No, it, it's crazy. Yeah. So what do we got coming down the line, guys? What what kind of ideas do we have moving forward for folks? Well, I feel like we should uh, branch out of our perspective and maybe do some some more books aimed at the female, at females. Uh, so maybe like do some 
Babysitter's Club books. Ooh, maybe I like do it. some maybe do some uh Nancy Drew. Ooh, I like it. Now Ooh. I have read a Nancy Drew book. When I was a kid, my mom gave me a couple Nancy Drew books. So I've read Nancy Drew, but I've never read Babysitter's Club. And I think that that would be a good idea because we would all be coming to it with fresh eyes. We've all we've uh we've already read a book on racism written by a white guy. Now let's read about gender stuff. Are these babysitter clubs books written by white guys too? <laughs> yeah, probably, <laughs> most likely. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I feel safe as long as it's written by white dudes. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I can only get the female perspective if it's told to me by by a guy with a penis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is written by well, at least one of them that I see here, Anne M. Martin. Is she the is she the author of all Babysitters Club? Yeah, okay. So her name is Anne M. Martin. Yeah, she wrote the first thirty six novels. So. Okay, good. No, I think that's a good idea. I think that we should yeah. we should look into that and consider. Uh, a different perspective, especially since it's obviously created for kids, just like, you know, Mm -hmm. now the Goosebumps books were, were more androgynous. They were, they were kind of for boys and girls. They weren't necessarily for all all kids. They were, they were inclusive and we had probably as many stories written uh, from the perspective of little girl characters as little boy characters. Right. I think R.L. Stein did a fairly good job of, uh, you know, kids are kids. <laughs> kids <laughs> Whatever. are kids, right. Not, not a heck of a lot of uh, gender separation there, except for like when cooties are involved or whatever. But uh, yeah, we're going to get into some some books written by actual females. That's pretty exciting. We'll do Babysitter's Club and our, our next book that we're going to be doing f- uh, for the podcast. Next week, we're going to be coming at you with The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Cleary. So maybe we'll do a this this segment of books by female authors. Yeah, that sounds and, like a good idea. And or of a female perspectives. Yeah, no, I like that. Let's let's do the next uh, the next segment before the next talk episode, uh, which is five books, right? Five books in a choose your own adventure. Uh, four four books and then a choose your own adventure. A choose your own adventure. Oh yeah, yeah. Four books and then a every, choose your every own fifth adventure. book. Fifth yep. book. Yep. Okay. So four yep. four books and then a choose your own adventure, and we will. We'll make sure that we try our best to find a choose your own adventure written by a woman. And I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're out there. So we will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I don't know who writes choose your own adventure books at all. I assume that some women have written choose your own adventure books. Yeah. So we'll look into it. <laughs> we'll look into it. We'll figure yes. it out. It's just as it happens, like our first five books were all written by white dudes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the in and, and two of them. Wait. E.B. White, E.B. White, E.B. White's a, a guy, a guy. Okay. Yep. E.B. White's a right. guy. And if any listeners have any suggestions, please send them to us, especially for this vein, because it will help us, especially, you know, just starting out. We, we yeah. really would like your feedback so that we can improve and, you know, make the show better for you guys. Yeah. If we know more of what you want, then we'll give you more of what you want. We're still going to do things our way. We're mm-hmm. not going to stop swearing. Yeah. <laughs> we're grown, we we're grown ass men who do what the it, fuck King. we want. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do the what the fuck we want because we're men, but because we're, you know. Adults. Fuck. We're adults. Yeah. We're people. We, adults. We're, adults we're can do what they want anytime they yeah. want. Yeah. I'm going to eat candy for dinner. Yeah. 
And then die in a silo of nerds. <laughs> and I'm going to dive through a river of Jolly Rancher until I'm frozen like Han Solo. And I'm basically just going to shit myself to death. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't that what you're doing anyways? <laughs> I have a pill, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to eat milk products without lactate <laughs> oh the the cramps oh and then just like the terrible i'm gonna end up killing someone also just from the stench of it right. too because uh all right well that's gonna do it for this episode of reliterated thanks for listening to us reliterated is brought to you by the chocolate milk friends and if you enjoy the show please share it with your friends your neighbors with strangers you pass on the street even your 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 enemies Maybe they'll like us, but uh, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that pulls from any of these sources. And give us your reviews. Give us your ratings. Uh, iTunes is a great place to start for that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just help us grow. We we like doing this. We we like having an audience. So, And we like affirmation. We like praise. Please tell us we're doing a good job. Interact with us, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Love us, please. (laughs) So until next time, give a shit, read some lit. Have a great whatever the time of day it is for you. Thanks. (laughs) Yay. Oh, I knew that you guys wanted me to do that. <laughs> I was sitting there trying to come up with something, and I'm like, no, I'm just going to stick with have a great whatever time of the day it is for you, because I've said it pretty much every time. Hey, there's only been a, like one of them where I didn't say that. <laughs> exactly. I always say thanks, but yeah, I'm going to do different tones. Next time I might do, uh, I might bring back one of the voices. We'll see. Yeah, you we should don't do know what's going to happen. <laughs> thanks. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big hit last week. <laughs> <laughs>